podcast. I am Jen, GR Mom, joined as always by GR Dad. Hello. This week, I thought we would do our own origin stories, because what the heck? We talk about the girls in depth. We'll give you ourselves in depth. Um, cocktail of the week. We're drinking the old Cuban, which we've done before. But it's like a mojito, but with champagne. And it's delicious. It bears repeating. Mm-hmm. So good. Say so, what it is. Say what it is. It's... Um, an ounce of simple syrup, a dash of Angostura bitters, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, and five mint leaves. You put those in a shaker with no ice, and you muddle them with, with your rum. muddler. With rum. Well, yeah, first you got to do that. Then oh. you put the ice in. Then you put the rum. Then you shake it, shake it, shake it. What do I know? I just drink them. Double strain it into a glass. Mm. Which, so then you get the little bits of the mint leaves out. Then top it with champagne. I've double strained before. It hurts. <laughs> That's a real GR dad joke. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the origins of GR mom and dad begin with GR dad because he's older. Yeah. Yeah. I'm way older. Okay. So uh, born in Germany. Yeah. Where? Wolfsburg. VW city. My dad worked at. And you lived there till you were four? Mm-hmm. And then we moved to Australia for four years. On a, you went on a boat? I did, because at the time you had to get quarantined in Australia to go in. So we would have had to like live in a camp for like a week or two weeks or something. But if you took a boat, if we'd flown, we took a boat for two weeks, like any diseases you had would come out while you were on the boat. So you could avoid quarantine. So we took a boat. And it was while the Suez Canal was closed, and so we had to go around the Cape of Good Hope around South Africa. So that's how you get two weeks. It's very so, dramatic. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I, I remember much of this just from my parents telling me about it, because I was about, well, 04. Yeah. Three or four. So, we, But I remember bits and pieces on the on the boat. I remember one night the, there was a huge storm, and I got like thrown out of my top bunk and like woke up across the room. It's very dramatic. Yes. Yeah. I've yes. never done an ocean crossing on not a plane. Yeah. I have, like, pictures. When we crossed the equator, they did, like, an equator party and oh. stuff. It was very, it must have been very cruisy, like, with captain's table dinners and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Well, so what this means is that baby GR dad yeah. spoke German. Yeah. And then baby GR dad went to Australia where he learned English. Yeah. So GR Dad actually speaks Australian as his main form of English. And so I'm now going to ask you to tell me about living in Australia, but you need to tell me <laughs> with an Australian accent until we move on to you going back to Germany. So oh, tell me where you lived in Australia and, uh, you know, what it was like. We lived in Mount Waverley, which is near Melbourne, uh, at the end of the tram line. And uh, I went to uh, elementary school or primary school, I don't know. It was called Sindel South, and we wore little uniforms, little grey trousers, and green jumpers, and grey shirts. We played Australian rules football in recess, and we played cricket, and we'd hang around at the barbie. Well, I don't know, that's a bit... <laughs> It's stereotypical. Tell, but tell you get about the gist. The big long drive you took in the oh, van with Christ. the windshield that crept in the yeah. Australian police. My father, my father worked at Volkswagen, so as a company car, we could get any Volkswagen we wanted. And he got uh, a camper, a VW camper, for a while. And we drove from Melbourne to Adelaide to. Oh, I don't know, Cooper Pedy, Alice Springs, I think, and then across to Darwin, uh, across to Townsend. But it was before they had tarmac on the on the roads in the outback. And so we'd, uh, some truck would drive by and kick up some rocks and break our windshield. So my father had all these cellophane <laughs> sheets and he just put that in. You know, close the door on the cellophane, and it would uh, protect us a little bit from the from the wind. And he'd drive on until the next garage. It was pretty good, um, and there was dust everywhere. It was <laughs> the red dust of well, the outback, I suppose, 
and it was just everywhere. I still have books when when I was I just sit in the back and read because we just drive for two weeks uh, that have red dust in them from from the drive. But it was good. We climbed uh, back then. It was Ayers Rock, not Uluru, and we could you could still climb it. The Aborigines hadn't. Nobody was really aware of it, the Aboriginal rites and their religious beliefs. So we climbed Ayers Rock. It was pretty good. Bought some boomerangs and some. <laughs> Did you see any kangaroos? Yeah. I've never seen a kangaroo. I've never been to Australia. I have always wanted to go. I've never been. Kangaroos are like deer there. They're just a nuisance. They're all over the. You just run over them on the road. I would not run over one you on the road. You feel bad. No, they jump in front of your car. <laughs> no. So then we and then we drove back through Sydney, back to Melbourne, and the best part or the worst part was my father was taking all these films and pictures and he was he was doing the eight millimeter films the one minute yeah two minute films and i mean we took pictures of everything i think we came back in a hurricane oh. there was a hurricane in new south wales there's a little bit of flooding but anyway we had pictures of everything and then my parents sent them away to be developed and forgot to put the return address oh no so they're totally lost <laughs> It's like a six-week trip through oh the outback, God. through Australia. Just all the pictures are lost. Oh. Yeah, it's a shame. But so, anyway, so that, there we go. That's it. And then we moved back to Germany when I was, oh. Eight-ish? Eight. Yeah, third yeah. third grade. Yeah. And so, your dad then lived in Germany from eight to 12. In yeah. that period, your mom was born. <laughs> independently and totally independently and then when you were 12 you moved to the u.s yep and my dad's big selling point for getting us to move to the u.s was oh my god the toy stores in america <laughs> are giant you won't believe the size of this thing it's like a it's like a mall but all toys and it was like children's castle children's palace children's palace oh yeah and uh we moved to America, and in about within about a week, I realized we we moved to America, but we'd moved to Cleveland. And I heard like Bob Hope making fun of Cleveland, and all these jokes about how sucky Cleveland was. So we'd moved to like the worst city in America. <laughs> it was disappointing, but we were in the suburbs. It was fine. And poor Ingo spoke Australian. Yeah. And he was in middle school, and so everybody made fun of him. Yeah. So now, as you can tell. He speaks like an American, yeah. but I told him if he had just like held out a couple more years, you would have got so many more chicks in like high school and college with the Australian accent. Yeah, they were they were not that nice. Or it was Cleveland. They, they didn't know. But I called you know, in Australian you call rubber bands elastic or rubbers. You call erasers. Erasers rubbers. The erasers for a pencil you call a rubber. And, you know, I said Fortnite, and I said Q, and I said, you know, and everyone, aluminum instead of aluminum, or aluminum instead of aluminum. I didn't know, and they all just made fun of me, so I was just, you know, it didn't help my my social life. Being in seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade was bad enough, and then, like, talking funny was worse. I would have totally been your friend if I had not been two years old, <laughs> which is how old I was. It's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't help my social life. <laughs> this is my two-year-old future wife, dear <laughs> mom. Wrong. And I was like, ah! So many levels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Then you're born. Switch scenes to dear mom's babydom. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Cleveland rocks to all of you from Cleveland. And now it does. I'm sure it's better than it was in the oh, late 70s River was or still 80s. on fire. Uh, yeah, so I have only lived in America, and I was born in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Crystal Lake, like Camp Crystal Lake, like Next Friday to Woodstock, though. Famous Woodstock. Not that Woodstock, nope. But the scene of the movie. Yes, Groundhog's Day. Groundhog Day. With Bill Murray, yes. namesake of Venkman. <laughs> True. Uh, was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, in like the square of Woodstock, Illinois. I actually lived not in a town. I lived in unincorporated McHenry County, Nunda Township, in between Crystal Lake and Woodstock. It's just, weren't you born in a cornfield? Sorry about that noise. My 
TV decided to talk. Uh, I mean, I was born in a hospital next to a cornfield, yeah. and there was quite a bit of corn where I lived. I'm just playing the odds here. Lived next to a cornfield. A lot of corn. A lot of soybeans. A lot of corn. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway, Groundhog's Day was not filmed in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, where it's set. It was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. And uh, I remember that very clearly growing up when they filmed that. Um, so anyway, if you go watch that, that's where I grew up. That's what it looked like, and we went there all the time. And, uh, yeah, it was incredibly boring growing up in Crystal Lake, Illinois. There was nothing to do. My senior year of high school, we got an Applebee's, and it was the only place to go. So we, like, went to Applebee's, like, every weekend. It's like, oh, we're going to get, like, mozzarella sticks and coffee shakes. It was so exciting because there was nothing to do. Man, I, I remember we'd, like, drive half an hour to go to the mall, Mentor Mall. And then we, when I was a senior in high school with the fake ID, we went to the Chi-Chi's because you could get, you know, margarita pitchers <laughs> with the, your fake, fake, fake ID. But I don't think they have those anymore. But it was cheap Mexican food. Chi-Chi's, a celebration of food. There you go. Yeah, I, I there remember you go. them. I don't and, think I ever ate one. And in this foreshadows some of the things later. The winters were long, gray, and dreary in Cleveland, obviously. Yeah. Uh, also in northern Illinois. Yeah. Crystal Lake. Uh, so it's like 60 miles northwest of Chicago. It's right on the Wisconsin border, pretty much, uh, where I lived. Cleveland's on the lake, and you get this so-called lake yeah. effect snow all the time, which means a lot of snow. Yeah, so uh, GR Dad was growing up. I was growing up. Uh, and then when GR Dad was 16 and GR Mom was 6 or 7, yeah. uh, GR Dad's family said, Okay, we've been here for years. Time to go back to Germany. Yeah. And GR Dad was like, fuck no. <laughs> I was a 16-year-old kid and sophomore in high school, and I said, no, I want to stay. I, like, I really want to stay. And my parents were like, uh, okay. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Can you imagine? In hindsight, shocks me. At the time, probably they called my bluff also, but then I was kind of stuck with it. So my high school had a dormitory, so I just moved into the dorms junior and senior year um, and hung out you know, with the dorm kids. It was weird. Like, I think they, on weekends, I would go to, they kind of put me in the care of this family that my mom knew from church. That I, uh, Their son was a year ahead of me in my high school, but I didn't really know them. And my mom didn't really know them either. It was a very <laughs> weird social experiment. Yeah. So on the weekends, I'd go to their house, do laundry, go to church with them on Sundays. That was part of the deal. And then uh, have... Sunday supper with them, which, or Sunday dinner, which was kind of the late lunch, and then go back to the dorms with my laundry all folded. And you grew up vaguely Lutheran, but you were going to a Catholic boarding school. Correct. But we had, I mean, it wasn't exclusive, right? You had to yeah, do yeah. the same education for everyone, but we had Muslims and Jewish kids and kids from everywhere. You know, it was a Catholic just, school. It was a Catholic run school. Run by we had monks. By the Brothers of the Holy Cross, who also run Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. Uh, and John Carroll, but not Georgetown or not, you know, they weren't. Those uh, are the Jesuits. They were not the Jesuits. Now I, I grew up extremely Catholic. Um, I don't go to church anymore, except for Lent. I'm but a big even, fan of Lent. But even then, you were too young for me. Too young. Yeah, I was seven. Well, you know. Yeah, way do? too young. Yeah. Um, but just throwing in the religious backgrounds. Dear Dad grew up Lutheran, went to Catholic school. I went to public school, but grew up in a super, super, so Catholic, my grandma had a built-in nook in her house for the Statue of the Virgin Mary, where she always had blessed candles burning. Uh, so, super, super Catholic. My parents both have, like, a mountain of brothers and sisters. Very Catholic. Yeah, I think your grandma also had holy water, for, for reals. I literally have a bottle of Lord's water that she sent me in my drawer over here, like just in case anything needs it. If you got any hurt spots, I'm happy to put some on there for you. I think it's good to be safe. We got all kinds of, there's a lot of Catholic stuff around the house. When I was growing up, so uh, for those of you who are not Catholic, we got a lot of interesting stuff, we Catholics. We're way <laughs> into the rituals. And uh, so one thing that a lot of Catholics have is a last rites kit in their house. So if you're going to die in your house, if priest comes and performs the last rites on you 
and a lot of Catholics have a last rite kit, so it's it looks like a crucifix, but it's really thick, and the kind of front of it with the Jesus and then some kind of like cross stuff behind him slides off and it opens up and there's a hidden cavity on the inside and it has a candle and it's got some holy water there's sometimes some prayers in there and my mom had one of these growing up and I always thought it was just like the coolest thing and so like when I bought my house I was like I'm getting one so we have one I'm totally not religious at all now but I think like the rituals of Catholicism are fascinating and I love the last rites kit and so I have one in my bedroom it's like a James Bond device, except for last rites. <laughs> for death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. For access to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, not death. I think I'm Catholic enough that if I turn out to be wrong, I've, I've done enough. I got a rosary. Yeah. Rosary's always by the bed. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a good kind of meditation. Like, if you grow up Catholic, you say the rosary prayers all the time. And so it just becomes a sort of, like, chant, right? It's a thing that you can say that's, like, very comfortable and kind of lulls your mind into a peaceful state. So if I sometimes really have a hard time falling asleep, I'll say a rosary. And, uh, I think you have enough sleep. guilt to, be, to go to heaven. I have all the Catholic guilt. Mm-hmm. I got no problem, no shortage of Catholic that, guilt. That comes early. That's the first thing you get. Yep, yep, yep that worked. Um. So yeah, then GR Dad graduated high school, yeah. and I was in fourth grade. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was in second grade. Uh, Maybe third. None of this is good. Then you went to this little community college in Massachusetts. In Cambridge. Cambridge, Massachusetts. Correct. Little school. Yeah. Been around for a little while. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. It was fun. I rode a little bit there. Rode. GR Dad went to Harvard. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, rode at Harvard. A little bit. Lightweight. Well, that was lightweight. GR Dad, when he was in college, weighed less than I weigh now, and he's six inches taller than me. I came to college, I was 147 pounds. That's ridiculous. Now I'm like 190. You look good. Yeah, it was, I was real skinny. Yeah, you look good now. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You're pretty nice yourself. Thanks. Uh, and then you finished college and I was in late elementary school (laughs) and yeah, I went into sixth grade and you went into the army, the German army for a year. Yeah. Cause we still had mandatory service back then. And that was 91. Yep. Right after the fall of the Berlin wall. Yep. But before formal unification, unification. So we actually had some East German people in our unit in West Germany and yeah, that's like pretty a, exciting. Like an exchange program with the enemy. <laughs> it was pretty exciting, yeah. I mean, that was a great time to be in the German Army because that was, like, the least likely to lead to war, right? The Russians yeah. had withdrawn. The East Germans were friends and becoming unified, so there was really almost zero chance of war, whereas two years before, everyone was kind of on edge about the whole East Germany-Russia thing. Yeah. So you did that for a year? Yep, 12 months. And then I went into seventh grade, yep. and you went I, to law school. I went to law school. I thought I decided I was not quite ready to be done with school. I did like it. Yeah. So you went to UVA. Yep. Got a law degree. No. Yep. Uh, got married. Yep. Not to you though. Not to me. No, I was in still in middle school. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> Let's wait, not. When did you you graduate? weren't in middle school for twenty years. When did you graduate from law school? Ninety-five. Oh, okay. So I graduated from high school. In 95. <laughs> See, look, too much there you go. It was legal. Yes, 18, legal. We could have got married. Uh, I'm glad we didn't. Yeah. Um, and so you headed off and got a law firm job and a wife, and I, had, I headed to college. I had a kid. Wait, how long were you married before you had the kid? Two years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess right. So I was getting a bachelor's degree. You were living the American dream. Living the American dream. Had a daughter. Dog. Had a dog. Wiener dog. Yep. What was the wiener dog's name? Crusty. Crusty. <laughs> I keep. I always forget. I that think his we name adopted him. His name was Rusty, but we decided Crusty <laughs> was more appropriate. That's yeah. a good one. Seven-year-old wiener dog who was very grumpy. Yeah. He eventually went to live with somebody else. I, an old man with some land. 
<laughs> but really. <laughs> but like, for real, not for, like for the real. farm upstate. He didn't have any kids. He thought the, the dog was awesome, and the dog thought he was awesome. That's good. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I went to college. I went to the University of Chicago. I, uh, it's a very intense place. Super intellectual. Not a party school. The when place where fun goes to die. Yeah. We had t-shirts that said that. It's kind of our unofficial motto. Yeah, if you're proud of that. <laughs> where fun comes to die. You're serious. So we have a chant. I guess there's probably oh. a school song, but nobody knows it. I, I literally have never heard the school song. Um, but we have a chant. A school chant. <clears throat> I'm just going to say it. I won't yell it. <laughs> the school chant for the University of Chicago is Thucydides, Themistocles, the Peloponnesian War. X squared, Y squared, H2SO4. Who for? What for? Who the hell are we yelling for? Go Maroons! And then you chant, Kant, 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 which confuses everyone, because they think you're cursing, but you're talking about Emmanuel Kant. It was a great time. I did a lot of Model UN. I worked a whole bunch of jobs. I have problems with, your school color is clearly crimson, but you call it maroon. It's 100% different than your color. Yeah, well, we invented the color in 1636, and uh, so you're just calling our color the wrong name. We admitted women from the first time we opened, unlike y'all. I don't think women existed in 1636. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was... Uh, I bumped around a lot. I think I was first a political science major. I was very interested in studying the collapse of the Soviet Union. I took Russian civilization and all kinds of Russian stuff. And um, then I became an economics major, which is what Chicago is famous for. They have ruined a whole bunch of countries with their economics. And, uh, and meanwhile, I was doing a ton of computer stuff. I was working in a computer lab. I was programming. And When I went to school, they didn't have computers. No, because you're old. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was also like independent of all that. I worked as a projectionist at our student-run movie theater, so I watched like 500 movies as an undergrad. Uh, I projected all kinds of movies. I've seen Starship Troopers like 80 <laughs> times because we showed that all the time. Uh, but so I literally was like in the movie theater pretty much every day as an undergrad, and uh, I saw this movie my third year called Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, which is an Errol Morris documentary, um, which I highly recommend if you have time. It's probably super dated now. But I like literally sat down, I watched it, I stood up at the end of it, and I was like, need to change my major to computer science. And I did. So I did the whole computer science major my fourth year, summarily rejected from grad school because like I was applying in the fall when I was still taking my first classes. I had like one computer science course. I had a C in it. <laughs> and so... Uh, then I struck this devil's bargain with the department because I was a very good teacher. I was te a teaching assistant. And they said, hey, if you teach some classes for us, we'll let you into the PhD program, but you have to promise to leave when you get your master's degree and you have to teach a bunch. And so I taught three classes a quarter, 12 classes a year. For... Which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've... so I graduated and I had taught 25 four courses, which is more than like most people in my current position as full professors have taught in their career. And I taught it as I was getting my master's degree. Um, I was real burned out, but I did well. And then I got into the University of Maryland for my PhD, which is a top 10 computer science PhD program. So I started that in 2001 and you were still doing the wife and family and lawyer thing. Yeah, I was right. still at the law firm. Yep, 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 yep. yep, yep. Uh, so I don't think you slept from when you graduated from like college high school. Oh to, my god! When after you got your PhD, my mom has a couple of these pictures of like when I would come home for Christmas, and I remember like pulling them out once, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like, why didn't you send me to the hospital? Like, I look terrible." She's like, "You always looked like that. Like, that's just how you looked when you were in college." Your parents not so empathetic. <laughs> well, you know, I was pushing myself hard. You didn't sleep. No, I did not sleep very much. Three hours a night, probably. Nah. And uh, so then I got married. Um, Just not me. To not you. I uh, I met a guy at the University of Chicago. And uh, we got married. And so we dated for not quite a year and got engaged. 
he took your name. Yeah, we got married, and he changed his last name to my last name. So major points to him for Which that. I begrudgingly think is awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yep. Um, unfortunately, that was kind of the coolest part of our marriage. He was a firefighter. He was a very nice guy and a good human being, but we were not very compatible as a couple. And uh, so we got married the summer that I graduated with my master's degree, and we moved out to Washington, D.C., so I could go to the University of Maryland. We stayed married until a month after I finished my PhD, so I sometimes call it my PhD marriage. <laughs> and, uh, and now we're both much happier. So anyway, that was that. Uh, it was not my worst relationship. We, we, could, we need like a four-hour podcast for me to talk about all of the bad men and women I have dated. Not, they're not bad. All the crazy-ass men and women that I have dated. There were some bad ones, too. There were also some bad ones. Yes, yeah, some were bad. They weren't all bad. Yeah. Some were just crazy. Some were just not what I needed. Yeah, and the husband was not the worst of, by any means. No, no. He was the best of the non-working out ones. Yeah, yeah. He was a good guy. We just didn't work as a couple. No. Um, so then I got divorced, and I was 28. And I got a faculty job at the University of Maryland, which is weird. I changed departments, and... Uh, yeah, then I just worked my butt off, bought a house. It's weird to get a job where you got your master's and your PhD. Where you got your PhD, they usually like will not hire, but since I changed departments, and I am so awesome. Because they loved you. They made an exception for me. Uh. Um, yeah, they call it academic inbreeding. They don't like that. They say, so. who do you think you are? Gee, our mom, we can't accept you into this program. <laughs> Like, I think they've literally said stuff like that to people. I'm sure that's the rule now, yeah. It's the yep. GR mom rule. Must live up to GR mom standards to get hired <laughs> at the same place you got your PhD. It's not. That's not it. No, it's not. No. Um, so, yeah. So, that was that. I was working. And uh, and I had a colleague, Scott. If you're listening, Scott, hi. Uh, Where's he from? Canada. Yeah. I call him Scott the Canadian. Um, he has a last name, but... I have not asked his permission for, to put him on the podcast. Canadian, so. the middle name, the. <laughs> Scott T. Canadian. Um, so I got hired with a bunch of other people, and uh, one of them was Scott the Canadian. And he had a friend coming into town, and he had bought Capitals hockey tickets to go to a game with the friend, and the friend couldn't go. And I think he asked like 12 other people who also couldn't go. And then he came by my office. He's like, hey, you want to go to a hockey game on Friday night? And I was like, I guess. I mean, fine. And it's like Friday night, and uh, Scott the Canadian was married, so this was not a date. It was just like, please take this ticket. And uh, I was like, all right. And uh, so he took me to a Caps game. Now, I had been to a couple Blackhawks games growing up, but I was never into it. And, you know, I skated on the pond in the backyard like we'd play hockey, but was not into it. And I went to this Capitals game with him. It's like 2007. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I literally, like, got home from the hockey game and went online and bought myself a Caps jersey. Like, I was hooked. It's like they tell those stories of, like, the first time you try heroin, like, you're addicted. It was like that with me in hockey. And, and, if, and if you're a hockey fan, you know that in 2007 it wasn't because the Capitals were very good. No. I don't know. I don't know if they even won that game. I was just like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, my <laughs> God. And I'm sure I was, like, super embarrassing as, like, a person to watch a game with because, like, look at them playing the puck off the boards. Like, they just hit it on the boards because, like, I grew up playing on the pond, right, where if you hit it on the side, it just go into the snow. Uh, so... Yeah, I was a total noob, but I had such a good time. And uh, I don't think I missed a Caps game for a few years. Like, I watched every single game. Uh, I couldn't even do stuff. Like, I'd watch so intensely that, like, I couldn't be online at the same time. I just, like, had to watch, like, everything. Hockey's like that, though. If you blink, you'll miss something. Yeah. So, like, in 2010, like, after a couple years of watching, I also had some running injuries and had some surgeries. And I was like, you know what? Like... I'm going to learn to play hockey. Like, I can do this as a grown-up, right? And I, like, got myself a pair of skates, and I, like, went to the little rink we have in College Park and, like, practiced skating and then uh, found these, like, adult learn-to-play hockey clinics and started doing that. And uh, so hockey was, like, a very big part of my life for a while. And uh, Scott the Canadian and I and, like, some other, you know, group of kind of students would go to hockey games all the time together. Meanwhile, I got divorced. 
Yeah, meanwhile, G or Dad get divorced. Actually, you're getting ahead of yourself there. Sorry, I'm, you know, skipping to the good part. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, all right, G or Dad gets divorced, and uh, there's a guy, Christian, who works with GR Dad, who also was getting his master's degree in the department where I work. And Christian... Took one of your classes, I think. He did take a class with me, um, and he is a huge hockey fan and was friendly with Scott the Canadian. I think he'd maybe gone to a hockey game with Scott the Canadian, and Scott had said, hey, if you ever want somebody to go to a hockey game with, like Jen also loves hockey. So we had emailed a couple times and talked about going to a game. I don't think I'd even met him in person. He took an online class of mine. But we had emailed, oh, can we go to this game? Oh, and I can't go to that one. And so we had kind of talked about it. I did know who he was, but uh, we had never hung out. And then I think he got some ideas in his head. And he goes, hey, Dr. Goldbeck, I work with this guy, Jared Dad, and uh, he's got tickets to the playoff game. You want to go? He's got an extra. And I was like, heck yes, I want to go. Yeah, he had three tickets. So me, Christian, Jared Dad, go to this hockey game. And I was like, oh, hey, this guy seems... Me. Nice. Me. Meh. Seems like a nice guy. I mean, we watched the hockey game. We didn't talk all that much. And, uh, but yeah, we all had a fine time. And I was doing at that point, that was like late spring, early summer. I guess early summer. I was doing a consulting project at the World Bank, which is where GR Dad works. And I had been there all day and I was finishing up a day and it was like five o'clock. And so I sent an email to Christian and I was like, hey, I'm going to be done working on this project at the bank where you work at 5 o'clock. Do you want to go get a drink or something afterwards? And he's like, yeah, let's go get a beer. Uh, by the way, is it okay if I bring Ingo, the guy from the hockey game? And I was like, yeah, like bring anybody you want, right? And so I like go to this, you know, kind of outdoor patio bar, and I meet Christian there, and we like, get some onion rings, and I get like a strong bow, and we're hanging out. Ingo's on his way, and... Then this guy is, like, walking up to us. <laughs> and I, I just, like, edited in some music. I was like, oh, my God, this is the most attractive human being I have ever seen in my entire life. Who could this possibly be? And it's GR Dad. Why was I all like, meh, seems like a nice guy at the hockey game. And then, like, a week later was like, oh, my God. It's because at the hockey game, GR Dad had a beard and he looked like a homeless person. Ah, uh, just much better trim than that. You looked like a nice homeless person. <laughs> you looked like, like a homeless lumberjack. It was ridiculous. It was not a good look for you. And then, I guess, after the playoffs, he decided to shave that thing, which was a real good move, because without it, he's the most attractive person I've ever seen in my entire life. Playoffs were over. Good job shaving the beard. And so I told him all kinds of very personal stuff, yeah, maybe had a drink more than I should have. Stop talking. We yeah. had a great time. I remember having a great time. Yeah, very nice. And uh, and I left, and I was like getting on the metro to go home, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm a big fan of this guy." And I think I sent you an email. Well, we did some email flirting. Yeah, and then I think we that must have, it was the middle of the week, and then I think we made a date for the following weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. We went out to dinner, and you got there like two hours early. Because <laughs> they didn't take reservations. I had to get on the list. Ladies, gentlemen, if you date a guy, you need to date a guy who will get to the restaurant two hours early for your first date to make sure you don't have to wait for a table. This is what you deserve. You should hold out for this. It was this, very exciting. It was very great. And we had a really nice first date. And then I'm like walking to my car, and I'm like, this has been a really nice first date. I like this guy. He's real cute. We had a good time. Stand there, bat my eyelashes at him, bat, 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 <laughs> at my car. And he's like, cool, bye. Left, no smooch. Yeah. No smooch on the first date. I was like, Dude, what did I do wrong? I'm like a handshaker. I mean, that is not in the, I don't know. I did give you a hug on the first date. I think we did a hug, but I'm like, the kiss was like way too much. No, no, but I got it on the second date, two days later. Overwhelmed by the... The situation. Yeah. Like a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. I think we went on the date on a Sunday because Monday was a holiday. Mm. And then Tuesday, 
a bunch of us went to a Nationals game. I think it was my work, wasn't it? It was a, Yeah, it was a work thing for you. And we went out for drinks. You and I, by ourselves, went we, out for drinks. We afterwards. walked from Nats Park down back to the Cap Center. Yeah, it was like two miles. We walked. Yeah. Had a nice talk, got nice. some drinks. And then I got in a cab to go home, and Gio Dad finally gave me my smooch. And then the cab driver, like, lectured me the whole way home about how I needed to be careful about guys like that. <laughs> anyway. That things... was that was all you needed, actually. That In hindsight, good encouragement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tell you you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, things worked out. Things progressed from there. And three years later, we got in, we got engaged at the end of May. And let's just say I had been waiting a while for that to happen. I'd been bugging him for a couple of years, like, when are you going to do this? I'm ready. And he's like, I need more time. And I was like, cool, I'm ready now. And uh, so when GR Dad was finally ready, he proposed. And I was like, great, we have a vacation planned for six weeks from now. Let's get married then. And so we did. We eloped. We got married. Literally nobody came except some deer. We considered other options, like to try to invite the families and stuff, but it turned out... Didn't want to come. Nobody cared as much as we did, so we decided we're just doing it for us. I think the question was, do we have to come? Was from one of the parental units? One of the parental units. Oh, that's nice. You're getting married. Do we have to come to this one? And the answer was, nope. Let's get married in six weeks on vacation. Second marriage is apparently different. Yep. So uh, we got married... On an island in the Florida Keys, just us. I guess there was like, actually, there were some people like at the island resort restaurant who clapped when we were done. But we had no guests in attendance. It was just us. It was wonderful. Yeah, the biggest crowd was in a passing ship of full of Boy Scouts. That's right. The Boy Scouts, the island that we kind of have spent the most time on, is right next to like the Boy Scouts, uh, like marine retreat. They own the island next door, and so. Uh, they all they go out diving and stuff, and so there's this huge boat. I mean, there's probably like 50 Boy Scouts on this boat, and the guy who was officiating the wedding normally takes the Boy Scouts out for their diving, so they all knew him. Captain, he was the Bob. captain of their ship. Yeah, like, he can do this under maritime law too. Yeah, so Captain Bob like waves, and all the Boy Scouts are like cheering for us, and we're like <laughs> waving at him. It was uh, cool. I highly recommend eloping. Like having had a full-on wedding. You had a full-on wedding. Yeah, and then we had a party too. So don't we didn't completely not have a party, but yeah. the actual wedding part was just about you and me. It was great. It was it was real nice. Totally the right way to do it. Yeah, so that was in July and then uh the following November, kind of when we had time, uh we threw a big party, I mean 200 people and but as there's like no pressure, right? Like normally we're all stressed, oh it's a wedding, what if something is yeah, screwed up? You don't have to worry about like did you sequence the cake cutting right or what you know, are, is everyone party. getting along? Are the bridesmaids fighting? There was nothing like that. No. We just are like we're dropping a bunch of money, we got a DJ, we got some good food and a open bar. Let's have a party. And it was a great party, like a like Everybody a wedding reception, right? Everyone like cuts loose and weird groups meet and it was really fun tons of like random friends from different parts of our lives are now facebook friends and like i see them like each other's posts and they like talk to each other because they met at our wedding it was a great party we had it at the torpedo factory in alexandria virginia which is actually an old torpedo factory and uh it they don't make torpedoes anymore. It's like an art space, and artists have studios in there. And they just close up the studios, and the whole big cavernous inside, we, like, strung a bunch of lights in there and had these two big, long tables, like 50-foot-long tables. And uh, it was an amazing party. Yeah, I would recommend. Yeah, so it's a great way to do it because then you have no stress of, like, oh, my God, I'm getting married. It's, like, such a significant day. It's, like, this is just a freaking party. And then the significant day, no drama. No one can screw it up because it's just the two of you. So everyone should just elope. If you want to elope in the Florida Keys, you should go to Little Palm Island. They're closed right now because of the hurricane, but they will be back open in about six months, which is long enough for you to plan your wedding there. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, it took us both two weddings to realize this, but Focus on yourselves, each other, when you get married. That's yeah. like the most important thing. I know it's the wedding industry says it's about the family, it's about the friends. Bullshit. 
they can have a party later. I mean, they're fine. Yep. But think about each other and think about yourself. It's really nice. Yep. Yeah, you don't want to be arguing. My first wedding, I literally had a fight with my husband on the wedding day because he wasn't there to get the flowers. And I was like, why are you slacking off on the wedding day? You don't want to be having a fight on your my wedding day. My first wedding, I got food poisoning, was in the hospital for Poor three Poor dear dad. Tell the story. Tell the story. <laughs> the good one. The good story. Yeah, it is a good story. I got I got married in Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, which is a great town. Bluegrass country. Um, and we had the uh, sort of a pre, pre-wedding party the night before, Friday night. This is a very German thing. It's no, kind of like was, a rehearsal dinner. Like a, well, yeah, it was like a rehearsal dinner, really, actually. But everyone was invited. It wasn't like a That's a German thing. Restricted, we Americans don't do wasn't, that. Anyone who could come into town to Lexington the night before was invited to the rehearsal dinner. So we had you know, this caterer and you know, a ton of beer, ton of alcohol. We way overbought alcohol because there was a miscommunication and like three mm-hmm. people ended up getting all liquor. Mm-hmm. It's bourbon country. There was a lot of alcohol. But... The next day, you know, half the people who'd been there at the, well, maybe more at the party the night before got food poisoning. I mean, my dad, my brother, who was going to be the best man, who had the ring, um, my, the bride's grandmother, three of the bridesmaids, three out of four bridesmaids, (laughs) um, I, and me, I was feeling just awful, much worse than just hangover. And so I ended up going to the hospital and getting an IV. And I, I mean, I literally went in the waiting room and my friend, the sort of backup best man, <laughs> Drew, said, you know, he's a groom coming through, coming through. And I like walked past the gunshot victims and the guy with the, <laughs> the arrow in his head. And, you know, and the, the, the doctor's like, oh, we'll take care of you right away. You know, we'll get you back on your feet. And so I had, a, I had an IV and I mean, they couldn't really do much for me. But it was pressurized, so the thing was like pumping. Instead of just dripping, it was like pumping into me. It was on, on the highest setting. And I was freezing because oh, yeah, the cause cold, cold IV was, was room temperature, which is way colder in your body. So I was just sitting there shivering. I think I went through two or three packs. Oh, my God. And then they're like, you should be good to go. Good luck. Here's an anti-nausea medicine. <laughs> uh, hope you can make it. But I missed a lot of the, you know, half the day of wedding prep. So I, like, didn't, couldn't pick up the tux and I couldn't do all the other things. And meanwhile, all the, you know, all the bridesmaids had collapsed. So there were backup bridesmaids and my brother couldn't get out of his bed in the hospital. And it was a very thrown together ceremony at the end. <laughs> sort of the survivors still walking did it, had fun. You ended up married, which was the goal. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was for the people who weren't sick, it was great. Yeah. And then the, on the Sunday after the ceremony, the day after, when everyone was feeling better, we went to the horse races. It was fun. Oh, that was good. Yeah. People won money. They were happy. Yeah. My uh, first wedding had no such drama. It went fine. Uh, we got married out on the quad at the University of Chicago, and we had a like hotel reception at the Palmer House in Chicago. And then we immediately went on our honeymoon in the classical way. So Pride was the next day, was the day after our wedding. And the Pride Parade in Chicago went literally, like, on the street in front of my apartment because I lived there in uh, in Lakeview in Boys Town. Mm-hmm. So we went to the Pride Parade, and then we went to the airport. And I think we missed our flight because we didn't understand that you have to get to the airport, like, three hours early for an international flight. You have been traumatized by this. To the day, when you go on international flights, you are very strict about the two-hour rule. Get there early because oh. we – I mean, it's not like we got there 15 minutes before. We got there an hour early, and they're like, yeah, no, you can't get on this plane and so then i think we had to hang out for another day maybe they got us on a later flight uh and then we went to paris very classic kind of thing and it was my first husband's first time out of the country we went to paris and he was shocked by how small the cokes were at mcdonald's like a large he's like this is like barely even a medium it's the little things the little differences that really get you (laughs) yeah uh, we had a good time. Anyway, there we go. Mine ended, hers ended. The second one, much better. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. Yeah, and there we, we are. And when I married GR mom, she had two dogs. She had two pretty big goldens. Pie and K. Pie and K. Older, but sweet. 
Yeah, Pi made it a year after we got married, and Kay made it two years, and then y'all have heard the origin stories of the current squad. The replacement dogs. <laughs> You're all good. Pi was a great dog, but she had issues. Like, I'd try to get face licks from her, and she at least would occasionally give them, unlike Queso, who still has not given me one. But if you'd, like, put your face by her, she'd turn away, and she'd really hold a grudge. Like, <laughs> we, I went on a, uh, I went to a marathon with my mom, we drove from here to Virginia Beach. It was like a four-hour drive. I think it took us like six hours that day. It was terrible. And so I had one dog in the front seat and mom and Pi in the back seat. And Pi usually got the back seat to herself. And she was pissed at my mom for like a week. She like wouldn't talk to her. My mom would come in the room and she'd like turn her head. I can't believe you <laughs> took up my back seat. Like Sounds she was, like Hopper now. Yeah, she was a real diva. Um, but she was still a nice dog. And then Kay was a very wonderful dog, but she was a little aggressive around other dogs. She was also a giant. She was huge. She was like 105 she, pounds. She was a queso plus. Mm-hmm. Bigger than queso. And uh, that's just to say that the current batch are pretty good. They don't have as many yeah. issues. Kay ended up going blind. And I remember carrying you and me carrying Kay up and down the stairs. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Yep. Good for the muscle building. Yeah. Yep. She was a big No dog. drops, which is surprising. No. I once almost dropped her. I started slipping down the stairs, and I managed to get my body between her and the stairs, so I fell real hard on my butt. I think I had, like, a tailbone bruise. But she just landed on me, and everything was fine. Sign of a good mom. Yep, taking care of my baby. Sacrifice your butt. Yep. Save the dog. Worth it. So there you go. Share mom and dad origin stories. I think... I mean, if you had us and some additional drinks, we have all kinds of crazy better stories for you than these. But those are the highlights and appropriate for sharing with the general public on the podcast. You need to actually come meet us and have cocktails with us if you want to get the other stories out of us. It will be worth it. There will be good cocktails. And really good stories. I mean, just my bad date stories alone. Oh, but not... The sad, not the sad. Oh, those are good. Wait yeah. a minute, those are good ones. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got some real good ones. <laughs> I literally have had dates so bad that I go, well, at least this is going to be a great story for other oh, people once I live through it. These are good stories. You, you don't even know. If we really run out of content, we'll do GR Mom bad date stories. Oh, but, they're good. Uh, I kind of think y'all just need to come to DC and have drinks with me. We could organize an event, right? We'll like pick a day. We'll get Derek Brown to like. Give us space in one of his bars. We'll make like a golden ratio cocktail. Everyone can come, and then I'll get up on stage, and it'll be like moth-like, except it'll be me just telling the story of my really terrible dates. I'm a lawyer, and I realized what you just did was you offered to contract with everybody. Now, if someone says yes, you have to do it. This is a big mistake. (laughs) I think... Big mistake. Being too early. Uh, if anyone wants to give me a pile of money, Ugh. I will totally make you drinks and tell you bad date stories. I commit to this contract. I'll even make the cocktails myself. I make a good cocktail. Uh, you know that's true. As your attorney, <laughs> I would advise you to build in more caveats. Yeah, just give me a pile of money. I'll make you whatever drink you want. I'll tell you about my bad dates. Not everyone accepts their attorney's advice. Yep, including me. Fair enough. All right, so there you go. Uh, happy day. Do you have a German word? Can I tell you my favorite? So I like yeah. I have tried to learn German in all kinds of ways. And at one point I had these, like, I think they were downloadable, but I would made them into CDs for my car. And it was some, like, learn to speak German program, but it was just people, like, pissed off at each other. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Like it's just like, okay, so I waited for you for half an hour. Don't you have a cell phone? Like where were you? And they're like, so this is the thing you'll need to say is to like yell at your loved one about how late they are. Let's teach you how to say that. Oh, all the Germans were so like passive aggressive in that, <gasps> that course. It was hilarious. And so anyway, one of the things that they taught me to say was <clears throat> Meine Nachbarin hat ihren Cousin zweiten Grades geheiratet, <laughs> which means my neighbor married her second cousin. Yeah. And, and Cousin is also sometimes Cousin. I think you said Cousin. Cousin. I say Cousin. Meine Nachbarin hat ihren Cousin zweiten Grades geheiratet. My neighbor married her second cousin. Ich wohne in West Virginia. 
I live in West Virginia. No, nothing personal, Matt. <laughs> it didn't say that in, in Germany. No, no that's it didn't just say that. Ingo being stereotypical. I'm just... Yes. This is so, some German Nathwar in marrying her cousin Schweiten gratis. I know. It's because, you know, Europeans have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to throw in geheiratet, which is married, Nachbarin, which is neighbor, and cousin Schweiten gratis, which is second cousin, is yeah. Jen's favorite. Cousin of the second degree. <laughs> yeah, yes. C- cousin second grade. Degree. Sort of. Yeah, not like second grade, like, right. also I went to third grade, but like, yeah. But we use grade like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chicago. Gladys. All right, Chicago. I, I did not pass my German entrance exam in Chicago. I ended up taking Italian. I think maroon is the word for crimson. Cuando era a la Universidad de Chicago, o visto una fantasma. Bueno. <laughs> no, no, that's not, that's not Italian. Bene. Bene. Molto bene. I don't know. uh, Maybe someday I'll do an Italian Snapchat, see if I can revive enough of my college Italian to do that. Yeah, I will not be contributing very much. I went to Rome, like, right after undergrad, and I spoke Italian the whole time. I did pretty well. Oh, my God. The stories of GR mom and traveling and, ah. When I went to Rome. This is a whole thing. On that trip. Uh, I will not tell this whole story because we're done with the podcast. But Sad story. I had to bribe my way out of the country because of a transit strike. And uh, it went bad, though I did get on the last flight out of Italy. You don't want to know. It'll be the first story that I tell when we have drinks together. It is the least listeners. sad of the sad stories. <laughs> I, it, it worked. It just didn't go all that well. Anyway, do you have a German word you want to add? Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay. Hundeliebhaber. Dog lover. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. Mm. So, uh, there you go. Now you know where we come from. Germany. Corn. Everything's good. All over the place. All over the place. I hope you are all good tonight. Sleep well. Or have a good day if you're listening in the car on your way to work. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you're all doing awesome. Good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Good job. Bye. Bye.